A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Hey, bird hunters. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Waltons, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, Grain Belt Premium Beer, Federal Ammunition, and by North Dakota Tourism. My guest today is Dr. Claire Maples from Paradigm Sporting Dog. Claire recently launched her own Sporting Dog First Aid Field Kits. We'll break down everything in her kits and explain when, where, why, and how to use these items. After this show, we hope that you will be 100% ready for a safe and successful hunting season with your dogs. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I am your host, Brandon Morton. As always, is your producer. A quick couple of items right off the top here before we jump into the show. We have a live broadcast, a live podcast coming up September 28th at 7 p.m. at the Bear Cave Brewing. Why do I always struggle with that, Brandon? I always watch it. Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota, the same place that we held live podcasts last fall. They're allowing us to have a rooftop podcast, which means you can bring your hunting dogs just like we had last September. So again, September 28th, 7 p.m., mark your calendars, come on out, bring your hunting buddies. We love to chat. You can be on the show and the lineup of beers is extensive. It's a cool place. Uh, Let's see here. I have another note too. We do have some flush items, some shirts, some hats, uh, short sleeve, long sleeve items that you might want to take hunting this fall. Flush items on our site at theflush.tv. All of those items, your purchase will go right back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So not only are you going to be styling, you're also going to be helping us create more wildlife habitat. Check that out today. Um, last week I had a veterinarian on the show to talk about how to prolong the life of our old bird dogs. If anybody listening missed that show, we hope you'll go back and give that a listen. Dr. Jay Brecky shared quite a bit of information that I think will prove valuable. This week we have another veterinarian on the show, Dr. Claire Maples. Claire, thank you for taking time to join us today. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I know that trying to carve time in a veterinarian schedule is a little bit challenging. So I really appreciate you taking some time here. Usually we end up talking for about an hour. Uh, It might go a little bit longer. I'm not entirely sure. I never know because I don't script anything, which makes it kind of fun. But Claire, you're a bird hunter and you're also a doctor that really understands the dogs that we all listening to the show love to hunt with. And you've created your own first aid field kit. Uh, we're going to get to all this. But first, where do you live? When did you start hunting? 
And what are you doing today in the professional world? So I live in uh, central Oklahoma. Um, and then I actually got into bird hunting um, several years ago from um, some family. And finally, three years ago now, um, got my first official bird dog that I have trained um, and done everything with and really active in NAVDA. And that's kind of what helped me um, like train her more, I guess, formally, if you will. Um, and, uh, that first year with her was where I realized, um, how important it is to be prepared. I, you know, have the luxury of going to places and thinking, oh, I can just go to the drugstore and buy whatever if something happens or, well, I'll just call some meds into the pharmacy if something happens. But then that very first season with her, I was begging a pharmacist in, a South Dakota to stay at the Walmart so I could go pick up some meds for her. And that made me realize you uh, are very underprepared. Like, I felt <laughs> like I was prepared, but um, yeah, you just don't realize some of the stuff um, that you're going to encounter until you're actually doing it. So, um, well, that's then, so true. That is so yeah. true. I mean, and I, not to interrupt you, but I just, that I think is why I really wanted to have you on this show is because I think most of us, if we're being honest, we're not really truly prepared for what could happen out there. Hopefully, after today, you'll at least be thinking a little bit more about some of the things that could come up and ways that you can be prepared to take your dog out there. Anyway, back to you. Oh, well, lastly, I was just going to say, I currently work at a mixed animal practice um, in Oklahoma, um, and I've been there for almost five years. So um, it's kind of a unicorn clinic because we do see like all demographics of people. Um, we're like right on the edge of a metro area. And so you'll see people who have um, like their doodles and things, but then you also see people and their farm dogs. Um, I do feel like I have kind of a little uh, niche of bird dog people um, as well, which I love. Um, my receptionists will always try to schedule the bird dogs um, with me because that makes my day. Um, right. So there's nothing better than a bird dog puppy. I don't care what kind it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a German short hair, right? I have two. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so last week, uh, Jay Brecky was my guest and I've had him on the show a couple of times and we talked about this, just the fact that it is very difficult to find a veterinarian that understands, maybe not understands bird dogs or sporting dogs, but that you just have easy access to. And a lot of times you're just a number at a vet and I've got friends and I've seen it myself trying to find somebody that I trust. I just have a question. I don't need to book something. I just want to talk to somebody real quick. Do uh -huh. I need to be concerned? Do I need to come in? Is this something that is non-issue? I know I speak for probably the majority of the people listening here, but it is a real struggle to find a vet that's also a bird hunter that understands bird dogs and helps just get through all the other stuff. Oh, 100% agree with that. I think that's why a lot of my bird dog clients, if you will, um, come to me and some of them will drive like over an hour just for um, vaccines or, you know, x-rays for their younger dogs if they're trying to plan out breedings and stuff. And I don't know, I think it just takes um, a special kind of person to understand these people because these 
you know, they're different than your typical client. Like we have dogs that are athletes and they perform and we expect a lot of them. Um, they're not couch potatoes. Um, and they're, you know, they require different kind of care, I think. And a lot of bird dog people too, they want to be able to do things themselves. Like they need to be able to do things themselves. Um, Absolutely. they, They need to know like how to apply bandage properly. Um, so I do think sometimes, I mean, I have colleagues who are guilty of it, um, out in the world that practice in more like very urbanized areas. They don't want to show clients how to apply bandage, um, because they just assume that they're not going to do it right. And, you know, I think depriving these guys and girls of that kind of education, um, is something that should change. Totally. So here's an example. I, I have found a vet that I really love and she knows who I am. She knows my dog. She understands that we're hunters. She's also a hunter as well. She takes care of all kinds of dogs. But she knows that mine is a little bit different in all the reasons you just laid out. I've sewed my own dog up. I've stitched her up myself and I didn't have the proper tools to do it, but I just made it work. Went in afterwards and she goes, here's what you did right. Here's what you maybe should do different next time. She then cleaned up my patch job because I got her, you know, I I got her back basically. But um, so she's like, here, we're going to we're going to shave her her fur here. And here's why I'm going to put this on it. Here's how I want you to stitch it up. And, and I'm basically, and she's like, come on back. I'm going to show you everything. Cause she knows that I could be somewhere in the middle of Montana, three hours from the nearest vet and need to do this. And so I'm so grateful to have a vet that will do that and take the time and show me that. And I think, I think every hunter probably wishes or wants to have that kind of a relationship and hopefully they can find that. I really think that it's important to be prepared when we're heading out into the field. So it sounds like that's the kind of bet you are. And I'm guessing all of your clients love you. <laughs> I would say most of them, I guess I am fairly established. So, um, you know, I, I, um, tell my vet students that come and work with me all the time that, uh, you're not for everyone and everyone's not for you, but yeah, sure. I do really love my little group of people for sure. How long have you been working in the clinic? How long has you, uh, had this career? Um, I've been practicing for seven years. Okay. At what point was it when you had your own dog and you had to go and head to that Walgreens and, and struggle to get what you needed? Is that when you realized I need to come up with something better for hunters? I need to create this first aid kit. So kind of, so it's an interesting story and I have to give a shout out in a minute to one of my good friends and dog training buddies. Um, so after that, I was like, okay, before you go anywhere else this year, you got to get more stuff put together. Um, and I am an associate at the practice I work at. So I don't have any, like, I didn't have vendor accounts at the time and stuff. And I could just get whatever I needed at cost at the clinic. Um, but we don't carry like everything that I wanted. So I was looking online at first aid kits that are available. And then you look through the itemized stuff and I'm like, well, this is missing X, Y, Z. This is missing this. Like nothing had everything that I wanted in it. And so, um, I just pieced together my own stuff and special ordered some stuff through the clinic. And then interestingly, shortly after that, my friend, Stephen Lundy asked me if I would put together a first aid and med kit too for him. And I was like, well, sure. Um, 
And after doing that, I was like, huh, what if I put these together like, and offered them to other people like as a business? And then bam, there's Paradigm Sporting Dog. And Paradigm came from like, like setting a new paradigm, you know, an example role model. Um, and so that's where the name ultimately came from as well. And that's kind of how it came to be. And it's just slowly um, grown over time. Um, at first, I was accepting payment through like Venmo um, and sharing stuff on Facebook. And then I finally graduated to I have a, a website and Shopify um, store. And so it's all all the orders go through there. So uh, it's kind of cool. Um, the people that purchase kits from me originally have gotten to be a part of that process. And I mean, they're definitely really special to me. Yeah. I, one thing about this Upland community, it's a very loyal, tight knit, welcoming community of people. And, you know, if you, if you create something that's really helpful, I, I can see how they just easily would want to rally around what you're doing, what you're creating and support you. And I imagine that's kind of what you're starting to feel now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So supportive. Like people, the Upland community is your best hype squad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, um, yeah. So I think what we should do is maybe, maybe we break this thing down. Um, because there's, there are a lot of items in it, but I want to break down the items and then how you would use it, when you'd use it, why you would use it things like that. Does that sound pretty good to you? Or how or do you have a different approach that you want to take to this kit when somebody asks you like, what's in it? What do you tell them? <laughs> um, well, and so the thing about the kit is the items that are in it, you can do multiple things with them. Um, and so I am a very petite female and if I'm toting stuff around, I don't want to be carrying a whole bunch of stuff in my vest, but I also don't want to have to pilfer through a bunch of things to, um, figure out what to use. So, um, that's also the thought process behind a lot of these. I think the easiest way to break it down would be like the nature of the injury really. So, um, like trauma, for example. I mean, that's probably the most common thing I think bird hunters see with their dogs, whether, um, like I had some guides last year message me pictures of their dogs that had unfortunately been, uh, shot, um, during a hunt. Um, all of them are fine, but, uh, you know, those are really bloody messes, um, Mm. when that happened and can be kind of, um, like you're in shock, the dog's in shock. Um, so you need a way to stop bleeding, to apply pressure to places. And, um, so there's quite a bit of bandage material, but one thing that I think is special about this kit is there's bandage material in it to apply an appropriate bandage. Um, you have a lint-free pad. You don't want lint like in your wounds and stuff. You've got a cast padding to actually pad and cushion, um, the, the wounded area and then your vet wrap to put on top of it and elasticon to hold the bandage up like on the leg or around the head or wherever you may be putting it. Um, so they kind of group into like, I guess, injuries, if you will, but we can go through the individual items if you would like. Yeah, I think so. So is the kit itself, um, do you separate the items in there by injury? Like you just mentioned, or are they all in one pack? I don't separate them. So I 
um, there's really only one way that all these items will fit in these Plano cases that I sell them in. Um, so I always tell people, if you take it out, you better pay attention to how it was in there because <laughs> um, you like it only fits a certain way. Um, so they're small cases, but once you dig it all out, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, what I do offer though, so that they know how to use everything is that document I sent you that actually gets emailed to, uh, the customer after they buy a kit so that they can read through that, um, and see what to use it for. And I definitely would recommend taking all this stuff out and looking at it and, you know, familiarizing yourself with it instead of just, um, waiting till it happens and then being like, Oh, wow, what do I do? Um, so. Okay. So this is a great document here. I think this will be what we'll use to walk through it. And then you can elaborate. I'm going to read the information you've included. You elaborate on it. We're going to start with honey packets. So honey packets, there are how many honey packets do you include? Five. Five honey packets. Yep. Okay. So for treatment of hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, I have seen this in the field more, more times than I can count. Just to give people perspective, if they've never seen it, it is, it happens quite regularly. Um, signs of hypoglycemia include staggering, weakness, tremors, or even seizures. Uh, it says give one to two packets per episode per dog. Do you want to add anything to that, Claire, as far as how often or regular this happens and why? So a lot of why it happens is um, many of us will opt to feed our dogs in the evening. Um, there's a big concern about uh, bloat and stomach twist. If you feed a dog a big meal in the morning and then you turn them out to go run 15 miles. So a lot of people won't feed their dogs. And because of that, they don't have that immediate glucose um, to utilize while they're out there burning off energy. And so I think that's a big one. Um, what I tell people to do if they don't want to feed their dog in the morning. So to back up, when I'm on a hunting trip, my uh, wake up schedule almost evolves around feeding my dogs because I personally, I do like to feed them before I head out. Usually you're going to drive anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, depending on where you're staying, unless you're like camping. Um, but I will get up like about an hour before we're going to leave knowing that they're going to have been fed early enough that they're at a low risk for that happening. But if you don't want to do that, what I tell people to do is give your dog a packet of honey before you um, send them um, out in the field. Or there's another thing included in this kit that you'll see below the honey packets is the NutriCal gel. So that's okay. more so what that is for. Um, if you know you have a dog that's either prone to low blood sugar when they're out hunting or um, that you want to not feed before you go out, um, you can give them a squeeze of that. And that's a really... Um, high calorie supplement that will help prevent it from the start. So do the, do the honey packets, you just put those right into the water bottle and then let them drink oh, it? Oh no, you literally squeeze it out and let the dog eat it. Okay. <laughs> That's gotcha. a good question. Yeah. Because I know some people will pour some stuff into their water bottles to help give that extra sugar. Mm -hmm. um, you recommend honey. Is there anything else you would recommend to somebody to give their dog to help with uh, low blood sugar? Um, I mean, the Nutri 
Yeah, the Nutri-Kyle gel seems like that's kind of your go-to between that and honey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were like in the clinic or something, um, you could give Cairo syrup, but that's the beauty of honey. It's in the little packets. And so um, you can just throw it in your vest. Um, I do recommend having honey packets in your vest, no matter how short your walk. Um, it's just something easy that you can keep on you. So if somebody has never experienced this before, and like I said, I have, and the first time you see it, a dog going into uh, that staggering and then they they lay down and they're having a seizure in front of you, like it mm-hmm. is, it's not pretty. I mean, it's very scary when it happens. I think most people, I'm not saying that they would panic. I just know that there's this moment in your mind where you're like, is this it? Is it over here? You know, and <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. Right. Because it's, yeah. it is, can be traumatic for some people to see that. Mm-hmm. So the dog, you, you're down there. I mean, have you seen it yourself firsthand, Claire, in the field? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, um, there was a dog, unfortunately she has passed away. I think she had something congenital going on, but she like clockwork would have a seizure. Like after you would run her in the field, um, you would almost have to cool her down like a horse. It was so odd if you walked mm. her for a bit, she wouldn't have a seizure. Um, but right before you put her in the box, like you never went and put that dog straight in the box cause she was guaranteed to have a seizure, um, for some mm. reason. So it is, it's, yeah, it's scary, especially when they have like a full grand mal seizure. Right. So how do you explain, walk through that with somebody or with us right now, what that looks like as far as what you should do in that moment? So, um, not get bit. <laughs> is the main yeah. one because um when they ha- are having that like chewing gum fit um you know they're not they're basically unconscious they're not aware of what's happening but just if they're uh sitting on your tailgate or something and it happens like you just you want them to be able to um have that seizure without falling off of something or hurting themselves so laying um, them down on the ground right yeah just um like help them just be still and the, the seizure will feel like it's lasting forever, but it's only going to last probably less than a minute most of the time. Um, and then you also need to be careful when it's over because then they're in what you call this post-ictal state where they don't know where they are. They may not have vision returned yet. Um, they're really delirious. And um, some dogs, one time this happened to that same dog I was just talking about, she had a seizure after training and then got up and ran off. And she was gone for the whole night. Mm-hmm. She came back the next morning. But so put a leash on them if it starts to happen um, or have a hold of them somehow. Let them get through it. Don't let them hurt themselves and don't get bit in the process. So a lot of times you don't know they're going to have that until it happens right there. So that's when you grab that honey packet and you try to get some honey in their mouth, right? I've seen people that have uh, some other goodies along too, just in case. And they've given the dog some of that right away as soon as you can get that in their mouth, right? Well, with the honey, that is not going to be so helpful once they're actually having a seizure. Your honey is going to be helpful when you notice if your dog is kind of staggering around, they'll act like they're drunk um, and may fall over. So that's a early sign of hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. So that's where you need to incorporate that honey packet. Now, if you like have a dog that's prone to seizures, that's where maybe you could speak with your veterinarian and uh, have medications prescribed for your dogs that you can have on you. Um, but it's just going to depend. I mean, are you going to carry that with you in the field, um, like your pharmacy? 
uh, is the dog going to have a seizure at the truck where you're going to be around that medication? Like that's hard to predict. So you really just need to be watching your dog for those early signs, like the staggering and falling over. Um, sure. Well, the, the times that I've seen it, the dogs, you know, they're big running dogs. And by the time we saw it, it was already happening. Mm-hmm. And so there was no stopping it. So then after the fact, you know, the dog came up, stood up slowly, wobbly, just kind of held it there and, you know, hugged the dog, um, you know, just gave it time to come back and then had some food, made sure they're drinking water. But I guess my thought is, you know, I don't know that for me, I would consider giving my dog a packet of honey before every hunt because we just hunt so many days of the, of the year that it's not something that's top of mind to me. And I have to believe that a lot of other hunters feel the same way. So I would look at the honey packets in the first aid kit and say, that's a, if it happens type thing that I would give. And I must be wrong in thinking that. Um, so it just depends on your dog. Some dogs are more prone to getting hypoglycemia with strenuous activity than others. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, then yeah, give that dog um, some NutriCal or give it a honey packet before you take off. Um, but if you try to give a dog honey like during a seizure, there's a risk of you getting bit or the dog aspirating it. And so you can do that after the seizure's over. Um, but the hypoglycemia is tough to predict um, unless you're real close to your dog because you're not always going to be able to see them from yards away. Mm-hmm. starting to show those early symptoms. Um, but that is how you can use it if it happens. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. 
Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full-circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Let's keep moving along. Next on the list, alcohol prep pads. And this would be used to clean, obviously. Apply to paw pads for cooling effect for treatment of hypothermia and overheating. Yeah, so alcohol has like a, you know, evaporative property. And um, that's one of the first things that we'll do in the clinic when a dog shows up and we are concerned about heat stroke is we'll just saturate the paw pads with alcohol. We've got spray bottles and um, they lose a lot of heat um, through their feet. Uh, And so, you know, that's even a technique during surgery is they make certain like full booties that you can put on. Uh, pets feet during anesthesia to help them maintain their body temperature Um, but that's also an area you can utilize to help cool the dog so that is something that I think a lot of people don't think about that you can use those little alcohol pads for yeah oh that's that's great so you also have lidocaine gel packets burn gel packets uh, local pain relief it's a numbing and numbing of open wounds prior to stapling or cleaning um do you want to include this with any of the other items in there or should I just keep going? Um, you can just keep going. That kind of goes back to like the trauma, um, yep. aggressment of trauma. Yeah. Okay. Lubricating topical jelly, uh, pack large wound prior to shaving or clipping, facilitate rectal temperature readings with a thermometer. That, uh, we'll get into the thermometer and, I, and let's just do it right now. I don't know that a lot of hunters understand what they're looking for with the thermometer. Can you help them? Can you explain what that is used for and why? Yeah. So that's where, if you think your dog is getting too hot or too cold and really, um, if you're concerned about your dog, um, overheating or experiencing hypothermia, um, you probably need to be headed back to the truck with them as well. Um, and so that's why that, um, thermometer, I don't, carry that in my vest I just leave it in the truck in that kit but um I mean the lubricating jelly saturate your thermometer tip in it um mm-hmm. you place it rectally it needs to be ideally against the rectal wall if you put it into poop then it might not be super accurate <laughs> and um so 99 degrees anything below that is usually considered low um for a dog um 102.5 is what most veterinarians consider high um, for a dog. And you do also have to interpret that in light of the situation. So like my dog right now in Oklahoma, we're doing a lot of training. And um, if I were to check her temperature, even though she's perfectly thermoregulating fine, she probably usually has a temperature of like 103 or so. Um, really? Because c- they're going to run a little hotter when it's 85, 95 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. Um but if your dog is uh, like 105 or something like that, that's too hot. Um, you need to start implementing ways to cool that dog. Um, mm-hmm. so and yeah, again, that goes back to the the, the pads, the paw mm-hmm. pads. You know, yeah. that's a very good spot to start. I've heard that from several vets in the past too. Yeah. Um, I think, and there are other signs too, temperature wise, that if you look at the dog's gums, that mm-hmm. can indicate that the temperature isn't right. What what colors are the dog's gums supposed to be and what signs are telling you that their temperature is off? 
So usually when they're overheated, their gums will start to get what we call congested or red. Um, and they'll be uh, tacky or sticky. So like if you lift their lip and you touch their gums, your finger will feel like it wants to like stick to the gums. So that's what tacky means. Um, and that's probably your biggest sign. Another thing too, that you'll start to see um, before they get to that point, a lot of dogs, this is something I think a lot of people miss. So if you watch a dog when they pant, they'll have their tongue straight out, right? Mm-hmm. If they're, if you've got a dog that is purposely pulling their tongue to the side so that they are able to more efficiently pant, then that dog's starting to get too hot. Um, so that's something that a lot of people miss that happen. It happens early before more severe signs of hyperthermia occur. So with the heat, uh, I mean, it's been well documented, you know, these hot, hot early season days that dogs have died uh, just right there in the middle of the field. It just happens yeah. so quickly. Yeah. And it's sad. Obviously, it's heartbreaking every time it happens. Some dogs are are more suited for warmer weather. Some dogs just aren't. But even the ones that are suited for warm weather can still experience it and could potentially die right out there. What are the symptoms that people need to be looking for right away? early signs to call it quits with their dog? I think a, and this is something that the handler is really probably, they're going to be the only one that's going to be able to assess this. But for me, with my dog, I will notice a change in her breathing. So I know how she pants when she is just working, but I also can tell a difference in how she pants when she's getting too hot. Um, my dog will also start to lay down. So if you're out in the field and you what, like we're training and she just brought a bird back to me, um, if she sits at heel panting, she's ready to move on to the next one. But if she'll come sit at heel and then she might go and she'll like actually lay down and then she'll stand back up and then she'll lay down. It's like she can't get comfortable. Um, so some subtle things like that um, are for what gives it away with my dog. Um, they can start to act a little drunk as well. Um, like they're about to pass out essentially. Um, but another thing you should consider too is, you know, we talked about the gums lift, look at your dog's gums when it's not hot. That way, you know what they look like. Um, you know, a lot of people try to assess their dog's gums out in the field when they are starting to experience, um, heat exhaustion. Sure. And yeah. And so then you don't know like, the difference. Yeah. yeah. You're like, is this normal? I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. I think a lot, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the moment and then you're just like, Oh gosh, I hope it's not too late. I hope it isn't, you know, mm-hmm. and then when in doubt, pause, stop, take a break, get in some shade, get water, when in doubt, make the decision to and a little bit earlier because the cooler days are coming and you want to make sure that your dog is still there to enjoy mm-hmm. that obviously with you. Um, okay. So we have, we have some tools here. We have a bandage scissors, obviously to cut bandage material. We have a thumb forceps and a hemostat to remove small thorns, cactus seeds that are unable to be grabbed, grasped with the hemostat or with the fingers. Uh, the hemostat itself to remove thorns, cactus, and seeds, remove porcupine quills. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's explain to people because I know some hunters are pretty afraid of that. I have I guess it's not a big like I, I don't get queasy. I don't 
seem to like panic in those situations for some reason. I don't know why, but like porcupine quills, no big deal. Let's grab the dog. I'm going to hold them down. I'm going to wrap my arms all the way around this dog's body. If we have other people there, you're going to grab the bait, the, the legs. We are going to mm -hmm. go in and we're going to pull every one of those out. It's not a big deal, but I grab the quill as close to where it's in the dog's skin as possible. Um, I think one thing for people to be aware of is that there's likely going to be some quills that get embedded a lot of times in the mouth, in the tongue, inside the mouth. So after you think you've got them all, open every part of that dog's mouth and look again. And then an hour later, look again. <laughs> Because yes. they seem they seem to move, don't they? I don't know they, how they do it, but what a weird thing. Well, they have that little barb on the end. Um, and so instead of backing out, they're going to um, move forward um, from where they puncture the skin. But you're exactly right. That's how I teach people to remove quills. Um, clamp your hemostat like right at the um, where it goes into the skin and pull slowly because um, they're they're kind of fragile. Like they will break um, if you try to yank them out too aggressively. And then if you have like really long ones and you pull a centimeters worth of quill out, reclamp and then clamp at the base of it again and just slowly pull them out like that, you're going to be pretty successful. And I think too, another, you know, you might have 70 of them. <laughs> like I've yeah. seen it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> one at a time if possible, because you don't want to break one. Do you right. feel like you know, I look for, and I have a friend, Ben Bredigan, who his dog, for some reason, just loves porcupines. So this is like a normal occurrence when we're hunting. It's like, oh, yeah, here we go again. And, you know, we just go on with the hunting trip. Like, it's not, it doesn't end anything. We pull them all out. We keep hunting. He checks later. We, you know, look again that night. Every once in a while, he says that there'll be one in there, like, days or days later. But if you feel like you've got all the quills out, do you really need to go to a vet after that or just monitor the dog? Yeah, I would say not, not really. I mean, if you're confident, you got them all out. And, um, if after a couple of days you don't see any swelling or places where they could have migrated, then you're good. Um, I had a friend that I hunt with last year. Um, she gets hit by porcupines like your friend's dog you're talking about regularly. <laughs> he, he calls her the Porcy Slayer 2000. <laughs> <laughs> but this dog, she got hit in the face and on her, like her wrist. And he took her to the ER because I was actually out of town on a hunting trip myself. And they pulled them all out um, for him. He was by himself. So he didn't have any help or anything. And then a couple days later, her face started swelling up on one side. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm sure there's some more in there. And they had, they had migrated. Um, she had one that had went down under her eye and then managed to come out behind her last molar, her, an upper molar in her mouth. Mm. Crazy. And for me sitting there pulling that thing out thinking, wow, what if it had went through her eyeball and to her brain, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that, that can happen. So, I mean, don't sit on it for sure. Um, but I think if you are confident you got them all, then you don't necessarily need to see a vet unless you've got concerns. Gotcha. Let, cactuses and seeds. Now I I've hunted with some old school dog handlers and sometimes they'll say, let the dog 
take the cactus out because otherwise you're training them that every time they get a cactus, they need to come to you to take it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I, <laughs> I kind of side with the old school mentality there because so far Daisy's gotten almost all of them out on her own, my dog, but if needed, obviously I, I pull them out. I do wear leather gloves for that reason as well. And it's usually not a big deal, but I think seeds are a big deal. And we'll probably get into this later with eyewash. As long as we're talking about it right now, the seeds that can get into their eyes, their nose. I mean, what are you Mm -hmm. looking for there that we need to be mindful of? Well, so like with the paws, for example, those little grass on seeds are the worst um, and they'll migrate up under the tissue. You know, I think if your dog is uh, like, licking their foot constantly like they're nursing something um like nursing a wound but you can't see anything then definitely keep an eye on it um if your dog's squinting or if their eyes watering excessively dogs do have a third eyelid that seeds like to get behind um and so having your vet show you properly how to uh, pull that out with like a q-tip and flush behind it might be beneficial but unfortunately with those seeds and stuff, like they're not really going to manifest symptoms for a couple of days sometimes, um, which is annoying, but it's just the nature of them. I think my plan this year, and I, I've not always done this and I, I want to just start doing it is I have a eyewash solution after every run. I just want to just put some eyewash in and maybe you can tell me if I'm doing this right or not, but I, I hold her eye open, put some eyewash in. I close it. I massage it gently because I want to kind of move some things around there. And then I put a little bit more in, go to the other eye, do the exact same thing. She shakes her head, her ears flat, blah, blah, blah. Do the, you know, mm-hmm. like feel like we're good there. Is that yeah. a, is, am I doing a good job or should I do anything else there? I think the fact that you want to do it after every hunt is a great job, Travis. I haven't, well, <laughs> uh, just to be clear, I haven't done it. I have oh, not done well. it after every. I want to. That's my goal this year. I think you're setting yourself up for success there for sure. Well, so you do have, I'm looking here, you have eyewash solution in there. Mm -hmm. Do not touch the tip of the bottle directly to the eye is one of your notes on here. Do people do that? I can't imagine they would do that. Uh, Well, in practice, you see a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so just... You never know um, what someone may attempt to do. And so just threw that in there. But you don't want to be um, just innocently flushing your dog's eye uh, and then give it a ulcer or a scratch from the bottle tip. Um, so you don't yeah. really want to be putting shoving plastic against your dog's cornea. <laughs> I feel like that. I feel like that's common sense. But I suppose as well, a doctor, you, you have to tell people everything. Yeah. Don't touch. Don't put your tongue on the frozen metal pole uh-huh. in January. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I see you have emergency blanket in here, which is awesome. How big is this kit that you have room for a blanket? Oh, it like folds up. It's a thin um, like foil. What do they call it? Like a space blanket. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah. So nice. it folds up very thin. Okay. Um, I, I've used jackets before hunting clothes, wishing I had mm-hmm. a blanket. So that's obviously, it's great that you have that right there because yeah, I mean, the instance that I'm referring to, you know, we did a podcast, um, with Renee Tamala this spring talking about when her dog took a terrible fall on a hunt and it was, mid-December so it was cold 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and we had to carry Quill out and he was in shock and a temperature was a big deal to us. And we wrapped that dog up as much as we could. And we used what we had there, but we did not have a blanket with, which we both said afterwards, because we talked through this, like, what would we have done different? And what do we want to make sure we have next time? And a blanket was was something that we both thought were would be important there that I think a lot of hunters probably don't think about, mm-hmm. you know, until again, like all emergencies, you wish you had it. Yes, exactly. Care to add anything to the blanket there? Um, it's pretty self-explanatory there. Yep. I mean, wrapping the dog in the blanket and then providing insulation like with your, you know, if you've got coats, jackets to spare, um, but that blanket really just holds heat in. Um, it's not, it's not meant to provide heat. So just to clarify, like it is very small, folds up into like a three by four little baggie. Um, it's simply insulating and keeps the dog from losing heat. Um, and so then if you can wrap them in more insulating stuff as well, that's going to help a lot. Okay. Let's keep moving along. Ear flush. We talked about eye wash. The ear flush used to flush ears of wax, dirt, seeds, and other debris. Use gauze or cotton tip applicators to wipe out debris until clean. You've included the cotton tip applicators used Mm -hmm. to clean smaller crevices of ears when cleaning with flush. Is there any concerns about debris in a dog's ear that could cause long-term damage? Or is it more just, you just don't want it in there? It'd be more so if like, your dog is, you know, you're back at the hotel that night or something, your dog keeps shaking his head. Um, so is there a seed in there that needs to be flushed out? Is he trying to get an ear infection from you duck hunting the weekend before? Um, and now it's just starting to show symptoms like that flush is helpful to clean out excess wax debris. I don't think it's something that you need to commit to doing after every hunt, but it is something that I think a lot of people wish they would have Um, on hand in case their dog did start um, either showing symptoms of an ear infection. Now it's not medicated, legally can't provide any medications um, in this kit due to limitations of my license, but um, Mm -hmm. still nice to flush things out. Or if you think like we were talking about seeds earlier, um, dogs can get seeds down in their ears and sometimes flushing is the only way to get them out because you can't really safely put an instrument down in there in an awake dog. What about those seeds that are not seeds, but there's a, there's a kind of grass that a dog can breathe in. And I've heard of dogs dying from it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like the most common, I think reason they end up passing away is due to either pneumothorax or, um, some sort of lung infection. And it often sadly does go unnoticed because uh, depending on that's where like having, um, like a, a bird dog veterinarian is nice because, that's probably not going to be on the top of the list for um, most veterinarians in a urban area. So you say, where was this dog hunting? How long ago? And Mm -hmm. based on that information, you can say, we need to do something. What can you do at that point? Is there anything if the dog has already gotten that in side? Well, so typically like your initial workup would be blood work and x-rays, but a lot of times, um, the only way you'll be able to see those is to have a CT done. So it ends up you know, being a referral thing. That's in really, really bad situations. I mean, if it's migrated to the lungs and it's created um, an infection there, 
then a lot of times you end up referring that pet so they can get some more advanced imaging to find it. And some dogs have to have like lung lobectomies as well. Um, Jeepers. Is it a common to have this happen? Honestly, knock on wood. I feel like I'm um, jinxing myself, but I myself have not seen this in practice. I have friends who have had dogs that it's happened to, um, but it doesn't happen to my dogs and I have not seen a case yet, but just it's always on the radar for me though. Right. Um, I'm thinking about it too. And honestly, I wouldn't have a clue what to look for or how to prevent it. It's, well, to prevent it would mean you would have to stop hunting. I yes, exactly. <laughs> so to that's prevent not a lot. Option. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's how we prevent almost all these things. Stop bird hunting, but we all know we're not going to do that. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, keep moving here. Pen light is used to evaluate eyes, oral cavity, or ear canals. How often do you use that? Well, I put that in there after being annoyed that my phone light was not adequate enough for me to look at my dog, um, in the dark, you know, out in the field. So a lot of times, you know, you call it quits and it's, you know, sun's going down, but you get back to the truck, you're talking, having a beer, whatever. And then, um, it's dark. So I know everyone has the flashlight on their phones, but for me, I want something that, um, is I can hold with one hand and then also like hold their mouth open or hold their eyes open. So, I mean, some things that are in this kit, like this pin light, other people may not feel are important, but this is what is important to me and what I want. And um, so that's why I threw that in there because I got well, sick of my phone. Try, yeah, you, no how, doubt. I mean, how can you hold your phone and look in the eyeball or in the mouth? Like, So I think too many of us depend on our flashlight on our phone. So I have a pen in my mouth right now and I have... <laughs> I have two I have two free hands to be able to work with it. I can't do that with my phone. So yeah. that makes that makes sense. I know in the moment again you're just trying to do whatever you can with what you're given, so having the right tools is is important thing. I think this goes back to, you know, like you mentioned, this is your kit, but the reason I had you on the show is because you're a veterinarian who's seen a lot and you know what you would want to have. If you would want to have it, then I think I I should want to have it. Right. And most people listening should say, all right, I should want to have this stuff with too. Especially if you're going on a trip. Here's the thing. A lot of the best bird hunting places are a long way from town. It means mm-hmm. you're a long way from a vet. That means your dog is in the hands of you in those yeah. moments that matter the most. All right. So you have different pads, different wraps here. We got a telfa pad, cast padding, vet wrap, gauze of different sizes in here. Um, uh, let's see. I think a lot of the wrap kind of speaks for itself. Do you want to elaborate on any of the, the wraps or the pads or the gauze? Um, I guess so the proper order to apply those, um, let's say you have a cut. So I think everyone's dog has been cut by barbed wire at some mm-hmm. point. Um, yep. and so if it's a candidate to be stapled, then you can staple it, but I will say one thing that um, I think there's a lot of controversy over in uh, the bird dog world is like stapling wounds, to staple or not to staple. And a lot of people want to have like a stapler on their vest and be carrying it with them. For me, though, I know what can result when you close a dirty wound and um, don't clean it properly or inspect it properly. 
I'm never going to staple a dog in the field. I'm going to be like, well, that sucks and walk back to the truck and I'm going to get out um, some antiseptic. I have some wound wash in there that's pressurized, flush it out, inspect like the depths of it, see if it's a superficial or a deep wound, decide if it needs deeper um, closure or if it can just be stapled. And most of your wounds can be stapled, but they must be cleaned properly. That is something that I think many people neglect to do. And then that's how you end up getting abscesses or infection. But if it's not something that you can staple, what you can do is bandage it. I mean, nothing wrong or nothing is going to go wrong with a wound that you've just simply covered. And then if you're not comfortable dealing with it, can take to your vet. Your vet is going to appreciate the fact that you um, properly covered this wound and kept it healthy until you got it to them. And so placing a telfa over that wound first, there is some neosporin um, in the kits as well. So after you clean it with the antiseptic included, the chlorhexidine, then uh, you can apply some neosporin on there. Contrary to um, some older wives tales, like you really want um, wounds to stay moistened. And the reason for that is that's how your white blood cells get to the surface of the wound. If it's all dried out and crusty, those white blood cells in that lymph, they can't get there to help it heal. So that's the purpose of that. So neosporin, telfa, and then uh, cast padding overlap 50% um, around the leg. I usually will make two or three passes with that one. And then you compress that a little bit with your vet wrap. Now, this is where a lot of mistakes are made in applying a bandage is people will put the vet wrap too tight. So vet wrap, if you look at it, this is where you need to open your kits up and like investigate your stuff before you go out on your trip. Um, when you pull on that vet wrap, there's like squares. And if you stretch it tight enough, they'll turn into rectangles. So when you're stretching vet wrap around the dog's leg, I always teach people to pull until it makes squares, not rectangles, and then 50% overlap. But if you put it too tight, then you can experience some issues. Like you're cutting off blood supply, you can create necrosis, stuff like that. Um, and then there's the elasticon in here, which is something that's usually not included in kits, other kits on the market. Um, that's to hold your bandage up. So that is not forgiving at all. Um, that will become too tight if you like if you stretch it at all. It's meant to basically be laid over um, half of it on the top of the bandage and half on the dog and then wrapped around a time or two. What that does is it uh, keeps your layers held together and then it keeps your bandage held up on the leg. Um, I have a very uh, low quality recorded by phone YouTube video on how to apply a bandage on my YouTube. Um, if people want to watch that and it goes in more detail about that, but yeah. What, where do they find that? Um, I, if they just search paradigm sporting dog on YouTube, it should pop up, but on my Instagram, there is also a link though. Um, if you go to the homepage on my Instagram page, okay. paradigm sporting dog. Yeah. People can watch it there on our social channels. We'll include a link to your Instagram page and then okay. people can click on that. And then from there, they should be able to find it. They'll see your logo and then everything else that you have, I assume, will have that same logo. So they know that they're following mm -hmm. the correct pages off of your your channels there. Because I think seeing it is helpful. I really yeah. do. Because I sometimes yeah. I've wrapped my dog too many times that I want to talk about. And it's because she just 
oh, that motor doesn't slow, which is great, but it's also <laughs> leads to these types of things. And I do wonder, am I putting too tight? Is there too many wraps? Like I, I need to go watch the video myself. So it's a good call to action for us, especially with a lot of trips coming up here for a lot of hunters. Um, should we keep on moving with the wraps or is anything else you want to touch on there? That's really about it. And then just, you know, if your dog's going to be wearing it for possibly a day or two. Um, so for example, like a blown paw pad is a great example where they might be uh, wearing it for a little bit. You just, you won't want it to stay dry. You're asking to get a skin infection if your dog is wearing a wet bandage. And one thing about bandages and how they're designed is that cast padding in there, it's going to wick up moisture and then it's going to appear to be dry externally on the outside. So if you see your dog run through a puddle, it comes back like in a little bit and you're like, oh, this is fine. It's dry. No, I guarantee if you cut it off, the inside would be wet. So I think most, in- most hunters, pheasants, especially their dogs are going to get wet. I don't know that there's mm-hmm. a hunt that your dog will go on where you shouldn't take that pad off and change it when you're done because it's just, it's going to be wet. And that's a good reminder too. If you yeah. have a dog, I do have a question, Claire. So my dog, she has these two spots on her front legs that, you know, the, the first time I took her training again, you know, running out on wild birds here the marks are back the same exact spots on her legs. It must just be the way that she runs and how it hits the, the stuff that she's running into. And then she must turn her face to the right because under her left eye, there's also a spot that wears down. And so when people see her, they're like, Oh, your dog got a cut. And I'm like, yeah, it's like that all season long because uh-huh. you know, the first time it happened two years ago, I was like, Oh crap. And I gave her like 10 days off. I thought she was healed up. All right, let's go again. And boom, she makes it 30 yards and comes back. And I'm like, oh, no. And then I just realized like this happens every single time we go hunting. And I think that's just something I've accepted. Is there anything I should be doing there or just let her be? It doesn't sound like there's much you can do about that. Um it just sounds like the way that she moves and carries her head. Those are some spots that are going to be present for most of hunting season for you. Yeah. And it's not like it's, uh, <laughs> she doesn't come back covered in blood. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's just a raw patch that has, you know, it's red, but it's not dripping blood. It's just worn off. There's no fur right there on that little tiny. Mm-hmm. And it, I would say it's about the size of a nickel or a quarter on each leg. And then it's the size of a dime under her eye. And it's just like that all hunting season long. And maybe I should be putting something on it. I don't because I'm like, I don't know. It's It just is what it is. And she's fine. Yeah. We're on her leg, though. It's on the joint. Like that on first, her, her on wrist. Her lo- on her lower, yeah, like on her wrist, on the lower mm. first joint there. Yeah. I don't really know. I mean, anything I- you try to put on her would probably bother her. It probably bothers her less to just deal with those slight abrasions and to make her wear something totally and i've you know like the horse wrap on their leg i've Uh tried some different things thinking well i'm going to help her out but she shows zero interest in the fact that there's a little mark on her leg so i'm like you're hunting you want to go you're fine and we go hunt and i feel like i'm doing the right thing but again i i question all kinds of things that i do sometimes so that's (laughs) that's just one of the many 
Um, I see that you have uh, large latex gloves in here. That's to wear when cleaning wounds or applying ointment or lubricant to wounds to prevent contamination. That is a great little tip right there. Triple antibiotic ointment to apply on cuts and wounds, obviously. The hydrogen hydrogen peroxide used to induce vomiting of toxic, toxic substance like rat poison, gum, fertilizer. Give one milliliter per pound orally, a maximum of 45 milliliters per dog. So can you explain a little bit more on the hydrogen peroxide to induce vomiting? Is that a common thing that you've had to do? I know some people that have had to do it. I haven't had to do it yet. And what, when do you determine it's time to do this? Well, if you like see your dog eat something, um, toxic. So I think the most common ones, um, that our bird dogs are going to encounter are going to be, uh, gum that has xylitol in it. Uh, ibuprofen, Tylenol, like something that's on your console. I mean, I'm guilty about, um, like if I'm going to go in somewhere real quick, I'll just leave my dog like in the front for a second, or, um, that's an opportunity for them to eat something. Right. I feel like I'm pretty good about not leaving stuff out, but you know, you never expect your dog to chew through a bottle of Tylenol and eat it, but they will. (laughs) So in the event that that uh, happens, I mean, not everybody has a dog box um, that they can put their dogs in. So they're not in their cab or something. So that's an opportunity that could happen. Um, I mean, depending on where you're at, like we hunt around a lot of like agricultural areas um, with your dog, you know, and just fertilizer or something like that. But at least within two hours of it happening. But the thing is, is um, usually if they eat something toxic, you're going to see it happen. And if you don't, then you're going to experience like symptoms of it later. Um, I mean, you could be in the hotel room with your dog and it decides to eat one of your socks. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> they do dumb stuff. So yeah, they do. Yeah, that's, they do. yeah, that's where you might want to make them puke. <laughs> so you have this, you, I, you also include the syringe here mm-hmm. and that's to obviously give it orally by uh forcing it down right into their mouth yeah yeah so um i think it's interesting how some kids will have peroxide but there's no way to administer said peroxide and i don't know if you've ever tried to pour peroxide down a dog's throat but it's not gonna work <laughs> so the syringe is the way to go there's something about yeah um like i've heard people say to give medication to a dog that doesn't want to take it if you hold like they, they lift, you lift their head up and you hold your hand underneath it. I think, I think you, you hold your hand and you apply pressure underneath their throat and it forces them to swallow whether they want to or not. Is that true? I, well, or just like rubbing their throat. But another trick that I will do is, uh, chase a pill with water. What that means is I'll pull up a little syringe of water and then open their mouth, toss the pill in the back, um, towards the base of their tongue and then, um, hold their mouth shut. But put some water in their mouth through the side, uh, like between their teeth. And, um, that's going to stimulate them to swallow by chasing mm-hmm. it with water. So that's a little trick that I do with pills too. 
It's time to start planning your next bird hunt. If you've listened to this podcast for any time at all, then you know where I'm about to send you. That's to North Dakota. Why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field. That's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times. That's why I know it's true. Plus, this year, the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long-term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, ways, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. You have uh, charcoal gel, universal animal antidote. Uh, administer after inducing vomiting of a toxic substance to absorb remaining toxins in the gastrointestinal tract. Give as directed on the tube. So is that something that you always do if your dog gets poisoned? Yeah. So if you are concerned enough that they ate something poisonous and you need to make them vomit, the next step you can take is to administer this charcoal gel. And what it's going to do is bind to those toxins and then allow them to um, defecate them out. Like they're going to be less likely to be absorbed into the bloodstream. Hmm. Interesting. So the vomiting will help get the majority of it out. But if it were something uh, like acetaminophen or xylitol, whatever it may be, some sort of like true toxin, then that's helpful to follow up with as well. You have a sponge here to saturate uh, with saline wound wash to clean severe wounds. Then you also have quick stop powder. This I think is something that a lot of dog 
owners, bird hunting, uh, bird hunters keep with is a quick stop powder. This obviously promotes the clotting to stop bleeding when applied to small cuts, injured toenails, etc. If bleeding does not stop after one to two applications of septic powder, consider compression of wound bleeding area with the bandage. Um, that's kind of one of those things where you have to make a judgment call. Is the wound big enough that I need to apply that, um, the bandage right away or the powder? What, what's your call on that? Is there a judgment call or like a rule of thumb? Yeah, it's definitely a judgment call. So, and, um, like your comfort level applying a bandage to whatever is bleeding. Um, so for me, I'm a, I like to bandage stuff. Um, I'm impatient. I don't want to sit there and wait um, for that quick stop to help the wound clot. I'm probably just going to bandage it so I can move on. Um, pressure is always your friend in a bleeding wound, but it is nice to have. So if you have a torn toenail um, that won't quit bleeding and that's a difficult spot to bandage um, and it's going to inhibit, you know, the dog moving, running and stuff if you put a bandage on it. So being able to take that nail and I will actually put some of that powder in the lid so that I don't accidentally dump the whole little bottle or the little jar of it and then put the nail in the lid in the powder or you can put some like on a piece of gauze in the center and then put it up against the nail or whatever you are um, trying to you know treat if you have an ear, like the tips of ears are real common too. So the easiest thing for you to do, instead of trying to like blot the ear in the powder or put the powder like on the ear is to put powder on a piece of gauze and then sandwich that area of the ear with your gauze and hold it there for a minute. So you get hmm. the benefit of pressure and the quick stop powder. So one thing I've wondered since I have basically painted my dog all kinds of different colors with different <laughs> different things, like... Okay, now don't lick it. Don't lick it. Uh, don't lick it. And I look at it, I'm like, don't lick it. <laughs> I have to tell her all the time and she has no idea what I'm talking about, but I don't want her to lick it, right? So most of these items, you don't want your dog to lick. You, you want to keep that kind of stuff away from their mouth if possible. What do you do then once you put the the powder on? Um, I mean, I guess I haven't really had an issue with them like after putting the powder on licking it. Cause if I'm stopping to blot a toenail or blot an ear, like we're out in the field, we're hunting, um, that dog's not going to be worried about where it was bleeding. It's going to be worried about finding birds, but I guess later in the evening, you know, that's where uh, a bandage might be helpful. Or, um, if you have an e-collar that you want to carry on you, but I'm going to be fully transparent. I don't keep an e-collar <laughs> in my dress. Um, I feel like most of these dogs, if they're small enough that you can stop the bleeding with the quick stop powder, though, they're not really going to be too bothered by it. Um, Back to hunting in no time. Yeah. 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 Tourniquet and uh, obviously used to stop severe bleeding of extremities. Caution mm -hmm. when leaving on greater than 20 to 30 minutes. Why is that? So after that amount of time, you're depriving tissue of oxygen long enough that, um, you can start to see damage um, and lead to necrosis or death of the tissue, essentially. And it's not like, uh, let's say you put a tourniquet on your dog's leg and you left it for an hour. It's not like its whole 
foot is going to die, but you might actually see um, some death of the tissue, especially around where the tourniquet was tightened um, and some uh, like bruising or dermatitis start to develop. So that's why, but I do, I mean, those tourniquets that I have, they're very small um, and don't take up a lot of space. It's one of those things that I waffled about, like, well, do I want a tourniquet? If you need a tourniquet because blood is spewing out, then is your dog going to make it anyway? However, um, some of those guys that I sold kits to last year who their dogs got, you know, shot by some clients on accident. Um, brutal yeah like i mean they told me don't take them out of your kits so um Mm. i do think it just depends on the situation um yeah better to be prepared than not to be prepared you also have a a muzzle in here which allows the handler mm -hmm. to safely triage a painful dog without being bitten you mentioned this at the beginning of the show when a dog goes into shock they don't know what they're doing when a dog is having a seizure they don't know what they're doing And so just putting that on, obviously, in the heat of the moment will save you from being bitten. And you don't want the situation that's already a tough situation to turn into a very tough situation because now you're injured as well or Mm -hmm. you got bitten in an area that's a major artery or something like that. I had a friend one time that got uh, it was the tiniest stab wound, but just where it hit him on the leg, it was a main artery and it was a life and death situation in the field. And like, that's what people, you don't, you don't think about that kind of thing until it, uh, until it happens. His dad was there. His dad stuck his thumb in the hole of where the knife accidentally cut his leg. And that's what saved his life. Carried him out over his shoulder with his thumb in the wound because it was a main artery that got hit. And Mm -hmm. so. I mean, these are like scary things that can happen out there. And, you know, that's why, again, we're going through this whole list. Um, nail trimmer, which obviously that's helpful. I think you you touched on having a nail issue in the field, but it's just a reminder to trim your dog's nails. If their nails are too long, that can cause issues on their paws, right? Yeah, so it changes. Um, like if uh, you're dog's nails are way too long and pushing their toes up. Um, that's not how that dog would normally position their foot. Um, so they can be kind of sore, I think, um, from having too long of nails. Most of our dogs are going to wear their nails down enough that, that we're not really going to see that, but more so to keep them trimmed up. So they're not tearing or breaking. Got it. Uh, saline wound wash to in a spray can so to flush wounds of dirt hair and other debris always follow flushing with an antiseptic chlorhexidine you have as well you do Mm -hmm. have skunk off i have a buddy that has a dog that has now been sprayed twice in the last two weeks (laughs) it's a puppy and we're still trying to figure out if the dog knows that that is not an animal that wants to go by or if it's mad because it got sprayed once and now it wants to kill everyone that it sees (laughs) To, to be determined. Yeah, I think maybe skunk number three means that he's just after him forever. Yeah, that's a, yeah. He's like, uh, either way, I'm a, I'm starting this skunk avoidance immediately. Mm, yeah. yeah. So you do have a stapler 
and a staple remover here. Mm -hmm. And we touched on the stapler. Um, one thing I don't see here that I, I have included is an old razor. And I learned this from my vet because when I did try to patch my own dog up out in the great outdoors, um, all the hair can, can prevent you from getting access to closing up the wound the way you want to. So mm -hmm. if you have an old one that you can bring with and just put it in that kit, I think that's just something that might be helpful as well. Um, when you say stapler, that's to close up the wounds because really the stapler is going to get you back to a vet to properly, um, to properly, uh, st stitch the dog. Or do you think that it's okay generally to leave the staples in until everything is healed up and then just take them out on your own? I think that just depends on, um, like how deep the wound is how good a job you did stapling it, how good you did cleaning it. I usually tell my clients that if they do staple a wound, they should at least call me on Monday and have me prescribe some antibiotics for them. Um, Cause usually, you know, those wounds are, they're exposed to the elements and um, you're cleaning them in the field. And so you may not be able to get them as clean as you want. Um, but I mean, if they did a good job and it's supposed properly, then you can, wait that 10 to 14 days and take them out on your own for sure. Nice. Now, do you recommend not hunting a dog after you've put staples in? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the veterinarian in me says, don't do that. But the yeah. bird hunter in me, hundred percent does that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's such a short season. Like you can't be down for two weeks, girl. We got no. all kinds of places to be and birds to find. And I, I mean, like I've put my own t-shirt over dogs in the field before so uh -huh. they can keep hunting, you know, wrap them up inside my shirt. Yeah. And then my, my arm sleeves become their leg sleeves. Like it's great, uh -huh. but it, it got us through another hunt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I mean, my dog, when she got hung up on barbed wire, um, her very first season, um, I watched her move around a little bit, made sure she wasn't limping. I was like, well, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and away we went. So, um, and she was happy. I was happy. Um, yeah. So it just depends. I think if your dog, if it was bad enough that your dog is like, it's affecting their gait, then maybe you should uh, let them sit it out until yeah. that is better. But just, you know. I think, I think you can tell just... generally like where mm -hmm. it is and if you're risking making it worse. Yeah. Sometimes it's a place where it probably won't or might not. So then you, you feel like you're probably okay doing it. Uh, at least that's the way I have approach the situation in the past yeah. and nobody wants to be down and out, which I guess is why I've been told I need to have more dogs. So I'm working on that. <laughs> That's why <laughs> but, I have uh, a second short hair now. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Daisy's soon to have a, a partner out there in the field, I think. Um, but anyway, different story for another time. Uh, what was I going to ask you? Shoot, shoot, shoot. Ah, I forgot. I'm not entirely sure. Is there anything else? And maybe I'll think of it while you're talking. Is there anything else that you want to add to this kit that you're really pleased with or happy about or um, reasons why you would tell somebody? I feel like we've talked through it pretty in depth, but other reasons why they might want to 
consider getting this kit or at least another kit of some kind? Well, I think so. My um, slogan that I say a lot is it is equipped to last all season, not just a weekend. And what I wanted was enough material. So, I mean, yeah, all those materials are in there, but there's a lot of bandage material in there. Um, there's a lot of everything so that you're not, you don't just use it once and then you don't have anything. Um, now, if you're like a wing shooting guide or something who has 12 dogs, yeah, you might run out of stuff. But if you're like me and you have one or two dogs, um, unless your dog just looks for ways to try to die on a regular basis, it should last you all season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, I know what I was going to ask you. Some of these items in here, do they expire? And if um, it says that they expire on the bottle, do they really, Claire, yeah. do they really expire? I'm glad you asked me that because today when I was packing up these kits, um, so a few of the things that have expiration dates on them are the charcoal gel. I think the ear flush um, has an expiration date. A lot of I think them. I flushes, they a lot of times yeah, will have an expiration date on them. Yeah. But if they're unopened, um, and even if they are open too, then typically they're still good for six months to a year, honestly. After they're um, opened. Yeah. I mean, as long as they're stored properly, um, you don't leave this in your truck if it gets 110 degrees or something, um, which probably won't really happen during bird season. But um, yeah, these products, even though they do say they expire, um, will still be good six months to a year later, if not longer. I I feel like expiration dates are kind of like in Minnesota, the DNR puts out an ice thickness chart to tell you what you should wait until the ice on the lakes get a certain thickness to walk on, to drive an ATV, to drive a vehicle, etc. I feel like they double it just to make sure that they're covering it because they don't want to tell you what it'll actually hold. And I, th I sometimes think, you know, with the expiration on some of these too, it's like, it'll be good for another six months or a year, but we're just going to oh, put yeah. the expiration here just to play it safe. Yeah. I had a letter in one of my boxes of inventory yesterday that was like, you will notice the expiration says blah, blah. However, upon speaking to someone else important, we've established these will actually be good for a year and a half more or something like that. So gotcha. yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I'm assuming once you have this kit, I mean, some of these items in here, like you're not going to need to replace a nail trimmer all that often. You're not going to need to replace a muzzle. Once you have the kit, some of those smaller items, you're just going to need to replace at the next year or mm -hmm. two years down the line. Do they have the opportunity then? Are you, to, to purchase the individual items from you? Or do you just say like, here's where you can go to get these other items? Do you have a plan there? Yeah, I do have a plan. <laughs> so I, I want to offer uh, refills for like a bandage refill um, and, or maybe like a trauma um, refill because you will, after a few uses of the same injury or after treating the same injury, you're going to use up some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but so that is, um, in the queue, if you will, to have refills available. Perfect. Um, and again, I'm going to have the link included here for people to go learn more about your product. I'm excited for you. I'm glad that you're providing this to people and it's a very extensive kit, obviously. 
we broke down. I think most of the items in here, I apologize if I missed something in here. Some of them I lumped together. It's a lot. And again, these are things that are important when you need them the most. So that's why it matters. Uh, but something else that I wanted to ask you about, because I've hunted in in Oklahoma before and it was awesome. Um, how are you oh, feeling what, about your hunt? What year was that? <laughs> it, it was a few years ago. Like it was more than uh, I can count uh, on one hand. That's how long uh, it's been. How are things looking down there this year? Well, I just went to a Quill Forever banquet and one of the wildlife uh, biologists gave a great talk showing some really good projected numbers for this year. So um, hopefully with all the rain that we've had, I did go to Western Oklahoma a lot. Um, and it really is such a beautiful place. Um, if you haven't been, it takes a little bit to get out there. Um, you know, there's not really any major cities nearby, but worth the drive, easy to go for like a day hunt or a weekend. Um, so hopefully the quail numbers are up. Um, I know where some are not sharing that. <laughs> Hope Fair they're enough. still there. <laughs> yes, you do not have to tell anybody where they are. I hope you find each and every one of them, and the covers are twice the size as last year. Yes, five more to go along with everyone you found last year. We'll leave yes. it at that. Uh, Claire, appreciate you taking the time today. I know you've got a lot going on there, and congrats on the successful business. I hope it is something that keeps on growing for you, and uh, maybe we'll talk again next year. Yeah, thank you so much, Travis. Really, really enjoyed it. Yep, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast.